What a beautiful piece of music. Wow. All right. Thank you for putting that piece of music on. Oh my God, that is amazing music. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that music. But first of all, I want to say welcome and good morning. <laughs> that sounds so weird. Welcome and good morning to Ancestral Eyes. It is a little bit chilly up here in Midland. So um, yeah, I was, we're a little bit late because, you know, Teresa had to make her cup of coffee, you know, can't function without coffee, right? So gotta take my sip, gather around everybody, bring your cup of coffee and stuff. So I wanna say welcome, welcome to our guest, Angela Puka. Welcome to Jean Jerome, my co-host. And I know um, Jean Jerome knows something about that piece of music. So what I'm going to ask him is to please introduce that piece of music. And at the same time, this is going to introduce Angela Puka. So Good. go ahead, Jean Jerome. Tell us a little bit about that piece. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as you know, with Ancestral Eyes, episode 22, amazing. We started this in uh, April of uh, this year, during the beginning, the early stages of the pandemic. And now we're on uh, episode 22. Yeah. We're very happy to have uh, Angela Puka, our guest today. Uh, doctorate, uh, she graduates this year from her PhD in, um, in Italian shamanism and at Leeds University. And I'll go into her intro in a moment. But one thing we discovered this morning, as you know, everybody knows, we usually start the show with a little bit of music. And I had yes. some, uh, uh, Angela is originally born in Italy and I uh, had selected some Italian music I thought might be appropriate just to put her in the ambiance. And I was surprised, pleasantly surprised that uh, Angela is a PhD student and, and very much in the academic world by day. And by night, she is a, a, an accomplished musician and has her band and uh, goes by the She's name of Angela. Phoenix, a rocker. So I love it. The balance. Perfect the yin things, and yang right there. Yeah. The things we find out about our guests. You don't think we're going to find things out about you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to say welcome, Angela. It's so nice for you to have joined us. I, I, you know, when I did our intro yesterday to remind everybody to tune in this morning, I had mentioned um, that you, you know, doing your PhD in shamanism, and I said in Italy, but actually you live in England, right? Yes. First off, okay. let me, allow me to thank you for inviting me here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here on, ancestr on Ancestral Eyes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm Italian. Pardon? I said the pleasure is ours. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I was saying, yes, I'm Italian and I moved to England to pursue my academic career and do my PhD, which is um, submitted now. So <laughs> I'm uh, waiting for my defense to be arranged in uh, hopefully uh, around the beginning of November. And I'm also lecturing. Uh, I'm also lecturing now at Leicester University. So I'm teaching Excellent. there. 
Oh, very good. Very Excellent. Good. Well, good luck and all the best. And I'm, I'm sure you're going to do well. So uh, there's no question about it. So now, Angela, as we always ask all our guests, right from the start, we want to know how people got on their journey, what was their personal journey, um, what, uh, what prompted you to get to what you were doing. This definitely, obviously, a personal journey led you on an academic career. So if you want to just take us through, I, I know you're going to, sorry, oh yes, the intro. Teresa, have a sip of coffee. <laughs> One more sip of coffee. Yeah. I'll read the intro. Look at me. All right. One sip you're, of coffee you're, you're, you're and You're fumbling through. All right. Um, so I'd like, I'm very honored to read this okay. intro. Uh, so Angela joined Leeds at Trinity University, as she mentioned, in 2016 and is currently a lecturer in the, part, the, the Department of Theology and Religious Studies. Angela's degrees are in philosophy with a particular focus on Eastern philosophies. During her mm. academic formation, she studied Latin, ancient Greek, Sanskrit, and Tibetan, wow. classical and modern, to translate primary sources of interest from different philosophical and religious traditions. During her master's degree, she expanded her knowledge in the field of religious studies, especially Buddhism and the Indian and Tibetan religions at the University of Naples, right. L'Orientale, in Italy, as well as the University of Hamburg in Germany. Afterwards, her research interests moved towards paganism and shamanism, their contemporary manifestations across the Italian territory. And I think that's one of the major focuses of our show today, is that particular mm -hmm. study. Uh, she's currently about to complete her PhD, as she mentioned. She's submitted her thesis for defense on indigenous and transcultural shamanism in Italy, which will be awarded by the University of Leeds. Uh, if I'll say it right from the front, if you want to reach Angela, Angela is a very busy young woman. Um, she has her uh, own podcast YouTube channel called Angela yes. Puka Symposium. And I'll be uh, scrolling that information uh, a little bit later through the show. And she has her own YouTube channel, which is called Angela Symposium. Okay. Nice. So over to All you, nice. Teresa. <laughs> How can you tell I haven't woken up yet? No, more coffee, more coffee, I'm telling you. It's about the job. More coffee, more coffee. This is my first cup. Come on, give me a break, guys, okay? So anyway, all right. So focus, center, ground. Hi, Angela. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just, I just want to hear your story because I know this is going to be a really fascinating show and I'm just going to let you take it away. Uh, you obviously know my first question is your personal your personal journey and how this brought you to your academic career and, and just take us through that, please. It, it's going to be fascinating. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> Thank you, Theresa. And um, yeah, Jean-Jerome, your Italian pronunciation is really on point. So. <laughs> He's impressive. <laughs> yes, I'm impressed. Well, uh, yeah, as I, uh, as, uh, the biography um, said, uh, I started out um, as a philosophy student, so I was uh, doing my degrees in philosophy. But then I got really interested in Eastern philosophies, uh, in especially Asian philosophies, that would be better, uh, actually, okay. than I should say, rather than Eastern philosophy. But yeah, I got really interested in Asian philosophies and religions, especially Buddhism. 
And so okay. I, I, I learned Sanskrit and Tibetan uh, because I wanted to wow. access uh, sources. But actually, but actually throughout my uh, academic journey, I've always been I, I've always been interested in paganism, witchcraft, and um, these kind of topics. But uh, yeah. what really changed for me at some point, I'd say the turning point was actually realizing that these topics could be uh, pursued as an academic uh, yeah. subject yeah. of research which um yeah actually this happened thanks to a youtube video which um a youtube video um, where uh, dr jenny butler uh, she's a lecturer at university college cork in ireland and now we are friends actually but at the time okay. i was i was still uh, at university and i saw this video of her uh, explaining her phd research she was at the time uh, a PhD student, and it was about witchcraft and paganism in Ireland. And so I thought, wow, so yeah. it is possible to study these kind of subjects from an academic point of view. And that was kind of enlightening to me. And then- Inspired, um, yes. Yes, it was really inspiring uh, because still now, even now in Italy, um, uh, you wouldn't really, be able to pursue these kind of topics from an academic point of view. So yeah, that's why I moved to the UK to uh, pursue my PhD because here I, I didn't have the chance to address this kind of subject matter uh, from an academic standpoint. And here in the UK, they tend to be very open about right. you know any kind of uh, topic of, or subject provided, of course, the right methodology, the proper sound methodology is employed. So okay. then that was, uh, th that's why I moved from uh, studying uh, philosophy and uh, Asian okay. religions and philosophies to uh, okay. paganism and witchcraft in Italy. Because yeah, then I okay. started my PhD, which at first was uh, meant to, uh, tackle the transcultural forms of shamanism, which are uh, the mm -hmm. forms of, of imported shamanism. So, for example, uh, Lakota shamanism or Siberian shamanism, which are imported mm -hmm. in Italy mm -hmm. and practiced somehow translated in the Italian context and practiced by people. This also includes core shamanism, which is a Western born. A shamanic tradition. So at first right. I was only looking at these kind of traditions, which I call, I'm not the only one, but yeah, I employ yeah. the uh, classification transcultural shamanism. But then during my field work, I encountered a woman uh, who claimed okay. to be, who claims to be actually in present tense, who claims to be uh, the last Italian shaman of an hereditary tradition. And so, of course, oh. that caught my interest. And yeah. uh, I spent a few days at hers, um, living with her, basically, and uh, getting a flavor yes. of, of her life and everything, and uh, doing participant observation uh, in rituals. And um, mm -hmm. I have collected with her about uh, 10 hours of interviews and by wow. gathering all the all the information regarding her tradition 
I actually realized that that wasn't really new to me. I thought while we were having, uh, you know, a, a recorded the interview, discussion. yeah, yeah, while we were having a discussion, it suddenly sort of it rang a bell, and I thought, well, wait a minute, but what's the difference between your tradition and a form of folk Italian witchcraft? And right. she replied right. that that the difference is that her tradition has not been syncretized with Catholicism, but oh, okay. um, yeah, which is which is a, an interesting um, an answer in and of itself. But it still right. prompted me to investigate and more into Italian folk magic and Italian witchcraft. Mm -hmm and see mm -hmm. and especially the vernacular uh healers in the countryside and sometimes uh, actually they can be also found in cities and so mm -hmm. i systematize um one branch we may say of italian witchcraft as the uh -huh. tradition of segnature because the segnatura is actually the okay. um, core practice in this tradition and uh -huh. I have already a peer-reviewed um, article published uh, in the Journal of the Irish Society for the, Stud for the Study of Religions, I believe. Yeah, you will find it. Um, there is a, a video on my YouTube mm -hmm. channel, Angela Symposium, on Italian mm -hmm. uh, witchcraft. And you will find all the references listed in the info box. So, okay. yeah, and uh, for my thesis, I systematized um, this vernacular mm -hmm. healing tradition as the tradition of segnature. And I mm -hmm. argue um, in my doctoral research that this may, in fact, be a form of indigenous uh, Italian shamanism, provided. Uh -huh. Yeah, provided we clarify what I mean by indigenous and what I mean by shamanism, but that's right, yeah, right. Keeping them sense. separate. Okay, okay. Could I just um, interrupt in what you've just said? Now that's interesting. Okay, um, I first of all, I find it interesting that Italy, being you know seeped in in a lot of mythology in um, in witchcraft, everyone knows about it that they would not allow a form of study you know something formal um is it do you think it's because they're they're still strongly linked with catholicism and that uh that takes such a strong hold on their um culture that you know it would be outrageous to think of studying witchcraft or something like that can you just uh what do you think angela i think that Partly it is because of that, because uh, Italy is still a strongly Catholic country, but it's mm -hmm. also because I think from um, it, the Italian academia tends to be more focused on historical research rather than contemporary mm -hmm. anthropological research. Oh, so uh, I, okay. from what I see and uh, from what I know, I'm under the impression that uh, Italian, the Italian Academia tends to value, tends to study more uh, historical topics rather than um, contemporary mm -hmm. right. traditions, especially uh, practiced mm -hmm. in Italy. So I can, I, I, this was kind of confirmed when at conferences, 
I've come across Italian scholars and I was explaining what the topic of my research was. And their first question has always been the same. So when I was saying, oh, I'm studying um, Italian shamanism and, witch and witchcraft, they would be asking, in which period? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that I... I once read yeah. in a I once read in a novel that uh, in Italy something needs to be two hundred years old in order to be considered right. ancient and hence valuable and right. <laughs> right. right 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 that's interesting. Now you mentioned also I, actually healers. sorry 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 before before you jump actually that last statement you just made is something a a prevailing theme or thematic that we we, we encounter. Uh, again, uh, and I'll, I'll touch on it later when, when we go into sort of the question answer and more the discussion portion. But that last statement you made about a, a mind share or a thought process that unless it's more than 200 years old, mm -hmm. it is not valid. That's a very important statement based on yeah. the, what you perceived as the view or the, the what you saw as the opinion or the attitude. Yeah, it was it was kind it was kind of a joke, and maybe it is you know over emphasizing. Maybe it's over emphasizing the the trend uh, that but you I, find among Italian scholars. Yeah. But I think that there is something true I there. I very true. <laughs> I'll I'll expand upon it later. Go ahead, Teresa. Sorry. Yes. 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 Okay. For sure. So I made note of that. Um, mm -hmm. Now. You were talking about the healers that you had met um, in the Italian mountainside and um, the woman in particular, the one that you had interviewed. Um, and she claims to be the last remaining shaman, indigenous shaman. How is that different from the singatoria that you were saying? Now, there's so many of these, these Italian phrases um, thrown out there, stregeria, stregeronia, I'm now confused. So if you could just sort of tell us a little bit about what this woman had been talking about in the sense of her shamanism, without going into great detail, because obviously it's it's part of your, you know, your paper and that, and we don't want to give it all entirely out. But could you just sort of tell us a little bit about why and, and what the differences are here? Uh, do you mean the differences between stregeria, stregoneria, and uh, Italian? Singatoria. And, uh, and, yeah, and the, now this new phrase, singatoria, and how does that link to the shamanism? Just tell us a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, stregeria, I would say, is a, an Italian-American uh, tradition, um, mm -hmm. which I, would, I, I don't think it's really related to what I uh, studied, not um, directly. Um, the stregoneria in Italian means witchcraft, so it's a very generic term to say witchcraft. So it would okay. be like asking you, so what is witchcraft in Canada, for example? <laughs> so it's very, uh, I mean, stregoneria is just a term to say witchcraft in Italy. You don't have a witchcraft tradition, one witchcraft right. tradition. So what right. I study is the, um, uh, and I have systematized as the tradition of segnature because segnature 
is uh, a gesture basically is a mixture actually of gestures and words which get passed down from generations and they have a specific um so there are specific times when the person can be initiated and depending on the region there are uh, people who only initiate um, blood relatives and um, other segnatori, uh, which would uh, also initiate people outside the bloodline. And since, mm -hmm. the, since I, I was able to find specific patterns across regions, I actually mm -hmm. um, kind of divided the attitude towards these kind of practices uh, in two generations which I called okay. uh, in my doctoral uh, research, uh, the old generation and the new generation. So the old generation, um, I, I'd say that they are not um, really uh, defined by the age group, although of course it is uh, much more common to find in the old tradition, in the old generation, people in an older age range. But what right. really distinguishes the two is the openness. So the ah. old generation, the old generation um, is kind compri is comprised of uh, people, usually old women or old men, more often than mm -hmm. not uh, women, and they tend mm -hmm. to live in secluded areas in the countryside, in villages, and right. they are kind of the village healer or the right. village witch. But, um, mm -hmm. and they tend to be very secretive about their practices and they would only mm -hmm. initiate one person in their bloodline. The new uh, generation is um, now comprised of uh, people who have been initiated by those in the old generation, but they tend to be more connected. So they tend to be more open, uh, share their practices, be on the internet, and especially Facebook has been essential to these practices uh, to mm -hmm. become more widespread and uh, right. for people from different regions to actually um, get a knowledge of these practices. So yeah, mm -hmm. there is a starkly different attitude depending on the generation we are talking about because mm -hmm. we have a very secretive generation mm -hmm. which wouldn't really mm -hmm. share their practices they wouldn't talk about mm -hmm. it to anybody. And you have yeah. people in the new generation who share their, their segnature on, mm -hmm. online. And they also mm -hmm. give like online services and initiations and things like that. But they ah. tend to still stick to uh, the tradition somewhat. Because for example, according to the tradition, you can only be initiated on uh, Christmas Eve's night yes and we've heard that <laughs> in yeah. in some in some cases also on uh the night preceding easter but um yes. yeah in the large majority of the case that i've come across uh the yeah christmas Eve night is the the magical time for the for this initiation to occur mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting interesting Okay, so I'm getting a little bit more of an understanding. I thank you for that. So now, the, the younger generation, obviously they've been initiated by the older generation. And do you think that um, they're coming forward to 
to be more open and more connected so that this this tradition doesn't die, right? Is this tradition, is that what you refer to as Singatore? Is that correct? Uh, I call it the tradition of segnatura. Uh, the segnatura, segnatura, segnatura. is, I, I, it might be complicated because now we go into the Italian language, but segnatura is singular, segnature is plural. And uh, okay. those who perform the, seg the segnature are the segnatori. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, so, okay. yeah, I understand. I understand. Sorry to complicate things. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> okay. So, do you think that they, um, that they're more open and wanted to stay connected so that they don't lose these traditions? Do you think? And that's why they're, they're open into, they're open in talking with you i think they mostly just find them um useful and effective so i from what i've seen um they exchange these segnature because they need them <laughs> i mean they they need okay. healing from those kind of diseases and so they exchange right. them I don't. I mm -hmm. of course there there are cases where they want to carry on the tradition and don't and don't want it to die out. But I'd say that perhaps in most cases they just want something effective to <laughs> to uh, yeah okay. to heal something, or yeah to boost um, let's say traditional medicine so to speak or or to find um, you know extra healing so to speak with the with these type of uh, singulatore do they use divination in any sense before they let's say administer any sort of healing that type of thing yes for example in my home region which is campania uh, because i'm from naples um there is a form of divination to uh, see whether you have the evil eye which is called the malocchio Malocchio. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, the, and then I want to talk about this different symbols, but go ahead. Yes, the Malocchio. Yes. So, for example, they would uh, pour uh, drops of oil into water. And if the mm -hmm. oil dissolves into the water, it means that you have the evil eye. Whereas if it stays separate, um, you, you are just you're just fine because of course that's what uh, the the oil is supposed to do <laughs> to stay separated from water so right. the idea is that if the oil gets uh, you know blended um within the water it means that there is something um yeah, supernatural right. that is interfering okay. with your energy with your okay all right so they use the divination tool or divinatory system um depending on what it is that they're looking for there isn't like let's say one general like a casting of bones and stones to find what's going on they more or less um do it specifically to what like how do they determine that you have the evil eye does the person come and tell them or do they just have a way of finding out that the, that the person has the evil eye that that depends on the um, on the region and it depends on the healer or which um so um, you may find that in different regions there are different procedures, but also different, like for example, I have encountered 
um, healers or witches, whatever we want to call them. <laughs> of course, nobody calls them neither of the two. Uh, in some regions, th there are specific names to address these um, th yeah. these people, but normally they mm -hmm. are left labelless. I'd say so. It's just the woman who heals this, yes. or the right. the man right. who will help you with that. So that is important mm -hmm. to highlight because uh, mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. are labels which are kind of superimposed to understand mm -hmm. the phenomenon. Uh, yes. So yeah, what was I saying? Oh yes, that uh, there are. I have come across uh, witches or healers that um, were able to tell you what you had just by looking at you. So, for example, oh, I've encountered um, one of these vernacular witches who just by looking at me told me what was my uh, blood type uh, and other conditions wow. that I've had in the wow. past, and. Mm -hmm. It was funny because uh, before I met her, uh, she uh, sent me a friend request on Facebook. And so mm -hmm. I thought now she's going to find something about me and try to right. impress me, you know, pretending right. that, she, right. that she knows things uh, about yeah. me. But then actually she she said things that she couldn't have got from- She couldn't have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, from interesting. From Facebook or from, yeah any other source okay so so i get the i get the impression that um they have a natural ability these healers to be able to um to divine and sense so there's a little bit of maybe um mysticism mediumship uh qualities associated with these healers but that's medium that's that's straight out mediumship totally isn't that's it somebody yeah, has yeah. a very very clear connection with their ancestral spiritual guide and they can see in cuba there's still today many many my, my mom's time my mom was doing a very similar work uh in mm -hmm. cuba with the unesco in terms of studying and, and recording and interviewing that's why i, I love this in, this interview with angela because it re reminds me of my mom's work and and that's that stage of her life Yes, but yes, in, which in was Cuba, doing what... Yeah, and Cuba, anybody who's been or, or who's seen Cuban Spiritista, there are Cuban healers that when they when they have their ancestral spiritual guide, because their ancestral spiritual guide was, let's say, in, in its previous incarnation, was a, a doctor, in other words, was a healer, has an understanding, they could tell you, like, you've got, you know, a tumor in the, you know, left quadrant of the body and everything else and, and so forth, right? So that is... Mm -hmm like 100 percent mediunidad or the ability to see and, and have mm -hmm. the ability of sight mm -hmm. right so that's it's interesting right to see that it's preserved yeah right? it's interesting because you said um the oil the water and the oil i know in some slavic countries this is how they divine for i don't know what significant significance it is for them when they do this. But um, in in our Slavic countries, there are, they're dying out. The Molfars, um, the Ukrainian Molfars. Pardon? Foreign glad. Um, oh, you mean the uh, the Ukrainian? Sorry, uh, I, no, I didn't I mean that another practice that um, uh, they do in, in Italy, and I think they also do in uh, Slavic countries, is uh, pouring lead 
as a form of divination. Oh, lead. Yes, yes pouring lead. lead. Yes, I was going to say. And then they do the pouring lead. There's the wax as well. They use beeswax, that type of thing. Um, the they have like as I was saying, they have the natural healers like the molfars. Um, there's another term, and I can't remember the Ukrainian. There's women that do um, their healers as well, and it's a form of not so much divination, but again, it's this mediumship that they're able to connect with. They have the whispering witches in Poland, the sheptuche, and um, they they are very synchronized with catholicism okay they're but they're being told by their spirits and when they speak and when i've seen you know just a video clip of them i'm, I'm sure they're out there um everybody's seen it or maybe not but anyway they do this thing where you can hear them talking and and it's like they're connecting directly with their spirits right so I find that interesting, very interesting. Um, I wanted to say something about when you were talking about the type of uh, the type of tools or or what they do in order to to work what they do. Um, you said gestures and words. Now, this automatically makes me think of figa. Okay, you know, is that something that they would use as a gesture? You know, that would you know signify something it, without you know no. disinvolging anything if it's secretive or anything but what did you mean by uh, gestures and words um no the uh mano uh maybe maybe you mean the the horns or the, ho the horns yeah but isn't there the figa you know where the thumb between the fingers is that another yeah, gesture that is another gesture, but it's not that common in Italy. Um, oh, okay. okay. It's, it's the horns are much more common, and it is a way to to ward off evil. I still do them now. So when somebody says, "Oh, I hope that your uh, defense goes well," I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting, interesting." <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. Yeah, normally, the, the horns are used as a in popular culture, so it's not just something that the segnatori would do. It's yeah, just yeah. a way okay. of uh, kind of warding off negative chances or uh, negative like an evil outcome. eye against the evil eye, right? Yeah, like saying, "Oh, I'm not gonna experience that. It's not gonna." happened to me everything is going to uh, to go well uh, so the gestures and words are uh, as i said passed down from uh, usually their grandmother or grandparents and mm -hmm. there are certain regions where uh, like in piemonte and i think in lombardia um, where you find more men but normally it tends to be um, more women so the like the the most common thing is the grandmother who initiates the uh, granddaughter, for instance. Okay. And the gestures and words are secretive, so ah. um, usually they the know. words yeah. usually uh, the words tend to be in the local dialect, and nobody okay. can hear them. So even for example, when they are uh, performing a healer a healing ceremony. 
they will pronounce them in a way that the person would not hear them because they believe that uh, if somebody else can hear those words, they would lose their power. So Yes. <clears throat> and that's why probably like the witches in Poland, the Sheptuchi, they whisper again. It's this sense of, you know, it's only between them and, and, and their divine spirit, right, that hear it, right? So that's probably the term why they call them whispering witches. That's what I said, Sheptuchi, whispering yeah, witches, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, so, that's why. That's why I also said in, uh, um, as I said in uh, in the private conversation which we had before this this live, yeah, um, yeah. going uh, on international conferences, I've met other scholars who uh, have studied folk witchcraft in other Central mm -hmm. uh, European countries, and it seems that mm -hmm. there are certain patterns that are found not just in Italy, but in other European countries as well. So it would be interesting in the future to do like a collaborative research mm -hmm. so that we can actually investigate this further. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that really, does, no, that'd be excellent. For definitely, it's difficult, for sure. It's difficult to find funding for that, but... I, one of the, the reasons I opened my YouTube channel was to raise mm -hmm. awareness towards the academic study of these practices. And mm -hmm. uh, not only for you know practitioners who, was, who watch my YouTube channel, but also for the academics. So to me, mm -hmm. it is a way of showing them, see how many people are watching my channel. This means uh -huh. that it matters. This means that we need funding to carry out the research. So Excellent. hopefully, so hopefully, well, 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 that's, that's one of the one of the reasons. Very similar motif is why we started the ancestral eyes because the the idea of the ancestral mm -hmm. eyes was not just a focus of my own practice, primarily of, of Ifa, Orisa, and Vodum, but also mm -hmm. to you know, uh, look connect. at other, other, connect with other spiritual belief systems which have ancestral traditions where the ancestor, mm -hmm. the Jotro of those traditions uh, in, in those, for, for those people, help them to keep those traditions alive and to let people know this is not just, you know, one person in one, you know, dark forest or the bottom of a basement, you know, yeah. by themselves doing something occult, but no, it, it is it's part of a resurgence. Too. It is part of, a, of an ancestral me memory, an ancestral mm -hmm. memory that's echoing and is reawakening. My my Absolutely. good friend, which I've done much research with over the last seven years, Bocono da Fragil, who works with the uh, university in Uruguay. Uh, he's a practitioner, but he's also part of the anthropology uh, department in uh, one of the universities in Montevideo. Uh, we, he's done presentations, both academic and practitioners. And the whole issue is to to you know the, the whole thematic of of uh the resurgence the reawakening of ancestral memory of the old ways mm -hmm. the old gods mm -hmm. the old you know and the fact that it's it's never stopped it's continued it's been un, you know sort of under the radar but when you sort of pull away the 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 curtain you know of, of modern society you're seeing it you know you're seeing that, that there are, there are many pockets of practice mm -hmm. all over the world mm -hmm. right not just mm -hmm. in the orisha and you know the overall umbrella of orisha or yoruba or vodun 
community, which represents in, in its totality the sixth largest belief system in the world. Um, but all these, like broader, more broadly, like shamanism and shamanic traditions and indigenous belief systems all over the world. And, and what you say is that the commonalities, there's so many areas, so many mm -hmm. aspects that are in common, we, even through these shows, we've, we've basically reaffirmed that the, the, there are more points in common than there are differences. There are some really cultural differences, but the essence, the, the, the physics of it, if you will, the mm -hmm. laws of it remain the same, almost un, un, untouched, unaltered between all mm -hmm. of these traditions as you do a comparative, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think that's something um, to, to understand that we're all linked. It's just the different um, countries and cultures that observe them or practice them, yet, you know, you start to see there is a familiarity between the countries and certain systems and how they practice. There is a commonality even in the tools that they use, right? And, and I think the thought form behind all of that. So that's something that's important to understand as well, you know, and being able to express that. So Angela, tell us a little bit more. Um, I, I find it's interesting that you would leave, you know, leave Italy and go to England to, you know, to attach yourself to a university. Um, it's Leeds, isn't it? That you're, yes. you're, uh, you, you got your, uh, that you're attached to, to do your PhD, uh, correct? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, my uh, PhD will be awarded by the University of Leeds, but it's uh, also with Leeds Trinity University. And I'm currently lecturing at Leeds Trinity University. So, just to... okay all right okay well i'm i'm fascinated by all of this and, and everything that you have said i find it's very very interesting this whole um idea like your so for your uh for your paper the uh, the documenting the observing to a degree um without doing any sort of um active rituals with people you've you've sort of pursued I, I have, this from an observing I, I have point of view. Done, you, I have done rituals with them um using participants. That's where I was going to that's where I was going exactly. I was gonna ask you, have you been invited to observe some of the rituals perhaps? Mm -hmm. And if yes. you could share without you know disinvolging anything. Obviously they wouldn't invite you to something that was um you know secretive or or initiatory. Uh, I'm just, you know, going by that. So go ahead, Angela. Well, you tell us. <laughs> well, it's my like. So I, I think. I, I think that. Let, let me. Let me tell you. I'll let Angela. I want Angela to to answer that. But Angela, answer that, and I'll make an anecdote. I'll tell you an anecdote of that. Yeah. So my answer is that uh, for my research, I used um, participant observation, which in anthropology is um, a methodology, which means that you will actively participate in rituals mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. as a participant observer. So you kind of you are participating, but you are also kind of maintaining your analytic lens, so to speak. Right. So yeah, uh, luckily the the people I have encountered since I normally when I can I spend you know 
quite some time with them. And uh, luckily, mm -hmm. they tend to um, trust me. <laughs> so they yeah. actually mm -hmm. want to show me things. Um, and I think that part of the reason is um, that usually um, people who practice magical practices or occult practices kind of want to involve the uh, the scientific and academic world uh, as a means yes. of uh, validating their practices, um, mm -hmm. either to validate their practices or to divulge i mean uh yeah still validate them by addressing them so mm -hmm. for example mm -hmm. the, the practice of don juan became very famous because carlos castaneda wrote about them so if mm -hmm. i write about a specific practice or a specific tradition or a specific witch that person will uh, kind of be mm, get something from it in terms of um academic validation, even though, of course, we are not validating people's practices, we are just analyzing them and describing mm -hmm. them and trying to understand mm -hmm. the cultural network they are immersed in. But uh, mm -hmm. from the practitioners and the community's point of view, it tends to be a form of validation. And so for right. this reason, it is quite common for practitioners to actually want to involve me in their practices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they want mm -hmm. me to show uh, these mm -hmm. kind of things, and uh, then they tend to ask me what I think about them. Um, ah, okay, interesting. So, what do you think of them? <laughs> from a personal point of view, or from an academic point of view, <laughs> academic and and personal, if you want. I mean, you know, <laughs> from an academic point of view, I think that. Yeah. Uh, these are extremely fascinating practices. And I think it's a pity that so far they have been discarded as superstition and they mm -hmm. are um, widely known. I'd say that nine Italians out of 10 will have had uh, a knowledge. I mean, either they have been to the town healer or they know somebody who has had right. an encounter with town healer. So it is very widespread and yet it is underground. So it is something that most people know mm -hmm. about, but people don't openly talk about it because it doesn't really fit the theoretical framework mm -hmm. we live in, which does mm -hmm. not include the practice of magic. So people tend to exclude it because it doesn't fit the current paradigm. So as a scholar, I find that it is interesting to um, analyze mm -hmm. cultural phenomena um, without judgment mm -hmm. So just yeah. because yeah. they do not fit the current paradigm, which says that magic is excluded outright, uh, we mm -hmm. shouldn't uh, we shouldn't not study these practices just because of that. But actually, that makes them even more interesting from an academic point of view to see what outliers have to say about our culture and whether there are, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe this theoretical framework is not as uh, sound and um, widespread right. and agreed upon as we may think. Yes, yes. And that's a very, very valid point is to look at it without judgment and flavoring with your own, um, you know, your own personal 
interpretations, right? And that's always very, very hard, especially when you're looking at a practitioner who is obviously immersed in this and does believe strongly in what they're doing. So, you know, I, well, I, I commend you for being able to do that. Go ahead, John Jerome. I know you're going to interject with something. Yeah, no, um, I, I think, you know, one of the things we, again, through the, through the show, The Ancestral Eye, we, we wanted to reach out to both practitioners, spiritual practitioners, but also the academic, the people who do the academic study seriously and with really the intention for the search of knowledge and an empirical or objective, objective approach without prejudice, mm -hmm. without, mm -hmm. you know, any preconceived notion, but really observe the phenomena, observe and document the phenomena the, the traditions, the, 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 you know, the evidence, both uh, in terms of the practice, people that participate and so forth. Because we, we've talked about, we've, we've sort, of, sort of brushed it. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of these traditions were, let, let's call a space, were suppressed violently, violently for millennia yes. by, the, by the Catholic Church. And, yes. and, and you know, through slavery, and in the in the diaspora with the African belief systems and all that, the whole birth of syncretism, which you you touched upon briefly, syncretic, was in order to 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 avoid persecution or avoid mm -hmm. the Inquisition mm -hmm. or avoid any type of uh, you know retribution by the community because of stigmas and phalanxes in terms of uh, mm -hmm. you know that a person who has the gift. And who has works as a healer mm -hmm. is within the within a Catholic or Judeo Christian sometimes framework or even Islamic is considered to to be con committing some form of sin or some form of, mm -hmm. of act mm -hmm. against God when when it's furthest from the truth, right? I mean, right. And although science, in terms of you know like physics, medicine, and astrology, those you know had their own sort of uh, shock therapy and 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 fight with the Catholic or religious institutions, and from time to time, there's mm -hmm. a clash of, you know, uh, Christian or Judeo-Christian Islamic versus science. Um, mm -hmm. They've more or less become that mainstream you describe, right? People think in material, yeah. scientific, physical terms. So the area of magic then had a different, not enemy, but a different opponent view which was that of what they call a rational or scientific mind oh that everything has a scientific or natural explanation it doesn't have mm -hmm. really a supernatural component so Absolutely. doing what you're doing is critical and that's why in terms of funding or in terms of anything we can do collectively from ancestral eyes and all our our previous guests we always extend the invitation to pool ideas to pool research to pool attention to the seriousness yeah. and importance of this work, of this anthropological work mm -hmm. and, and in terms of um, preserving, observing, mm -hmm. recording these mm -hmm. traditions so they're not suppressed, so they're not uh, you know, uh, pushed mm -hmm. into the underground by persecution mm -hmm. and so forth, is, is critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is definitely for sure. Um, so, okay, so now I'm 
I'm at the point where I get a better understanding of what's going on uh, as far as um, Italian shamanism and witchcraft, etc. It's become a little bit more clearer to me. So, Jean Jerome, I'm going to hand this over to you. And if you want to go from wherever it is you want to go to, please go ahead. I need a second cup of coffee because I'm not awake yet. <laughs> okay, no worries. No, so so picking up on that theme now, um, in your observations, in your anthropological, you know, study and, and recording and your participant observation, did you have a sense uh, from the practitioners that there is still a great deal, not of ignorance about their practice, but even like fear or uh, discrimination or? Uh, any type of you know derogatory sort of sentiment towards those practitioners that they were they were they you know comfortable in terms of their practice or did they feel that they were somehow always you know being watched or being under some sort of scrutiny by authorities by the church by their fellow you know town members what what, what is the the I like to look at a more human aspect what is the the life of these practitioners like in terms of their you know, their ability to have freedom to practice their beliefs? Mm. Well, yes, uh, that de really depends on the, um, uh, as I said, um, I categorized uh, the two generations because they have mm -hmm. a very different attitude towards these kind of practices. And right. also it depends on the, um, on the region and on the person. I'd say that overall, um, yes, there is still a stigma attached to these practices. And uh, those who are outside um, tend to um, have, they tend to think of them as superstitious practices. Um, so they still have this stigma attached to them. And especially those in the old generation, they tend to be very especially secretive about it because uh, they um, fear judgment Mm -hmm. partly because they fear judgment um and partly because uh, they feel like if they share too much about their practices they will lose the power so it is a combination mm -hmm. of of these two elements whereas the new generation tends to be more open about them and they don't care as much about what other people uh, say or uh yeah the the, the possible a stigma that they may have as practitioners of these practices so yeah it is quite varied i'd say that overall if you were to ask uh, the average italian who's not into esotericism or into these kind of practices mm -hmm. and you would talk about these uh traditions they would say that oh it's just superstition for example i've had uh, there have been quite a few Italians when I was in Italy and I was, you know, randomly explaining to people outside those communities, just, you know, the average person in Italy, what I was doing. They were like, oh, really? Do you study that? Like, I, the impression I was under was that um, they considered it to be something not worth studying from an mm -hmm. academic point of view. That's the impression that I got. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, 
I'd say that there is still a stigma attached to this to this um, tradition, and this is one more reason for me to study them, because as I said, um, I think there is quite a, especially with uh, with um, practice which involve magic, esotericism, mm -hmm. occult traditions. Mm -hmm. I find, mm -hmm. and it's not just my opinion, actually, there has been a, bo a, a book published on this, uh, which is called The Scientification of Religion by a mm -hmm. professor who I think is still at the University of Amsterdam. And mm -hmm. I think that there is uh, specifically for magic practicing traditions, a relationship with academia, with the academic world, so if you look at the um, rebirth mm -hmm. of um, many traditions from the 1950s onwards, they tend to mm -hmm. have some kind of association with uh, academia. For example, Wicca no. was born because Gerald Garner uh, was backing uh, his claims uh, thanks to the works by Margaret Murray, the Egyptologist. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, even with shamanism, Carlos Castaneda was a PhD student mm -hmm. and Michael Harner was an academic himself, an anthropologist. So yes. if you look at mm, quite a few traditions uh, who, have, right. yeah, who have been born or saw a rebirth, they tend to have some kind of association uh, with, with the academic world. Even uh, here in Britain, uh, Druidry has been um, classified as yes. a religion thanks to an academic. Yes, a, a, absolutely. A, their first application was rejected, and then there was a, an academic, um, Graham Harvey, uh, professor at the Open University, who um, wrote a letter, <laughs> um, which yeah was sent uh, alongside the application and then they got granted the uh, charity status mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. uh, is a way of um, yeah being classified mm -hmm. as a religion here in in the uk so yeah and that's there really is strong, a strong link between uh, the academic world academic, and yeah. magic practicing communities i think and that's important. I think it is because, um, again, it, it lends not only to the validation, but sometimes it leads to um, an acknowledgement. Like, for example, we we got Jenny Udzel, one of our former guests, from your Jenny show. And and Angela's former guest, because Angela had her as a guest on Angela's symposium yes. well yes. before. Yeah, uh, Jenny. Jenny yeah. is a friend of mine. We were just yeah. chatting before <laughs> I joined yeah. here. So yeah, Jennifer as well. Exactly. A shout out to Jennifer, which is a practicing druid. Hi, Jennifer. Well. <laughs> Hi. Yes, exactly. And and that this is what um, you know. Well, we wanted a, a, a druid, <laughs> right? And uh, it was Jean Jerome who had observed her on your show so we were like oh let's please let's get her on right so anyway so we were grateful for that and then you know John Trump said why don't we get Angela and I go oh oh okay sure <laughs> you know it sounds excellent so we're glad we're really really glad about this um there was something I was going to say about um the the practices uh, back in the, the 50s and the 60s and having the um, 
the tie to an academic sense in order to to lend validation. Um, do you think that this it do you think that this still holds true? Let's say, well, obviously it is because this is what you're doing. Do you think that there is going to be um, with this academic um, procedures and things more of an acceptance in order to acknowledge and let's say validate more and more ancient practices? Like I'm talking outside of England, outside of, uh, well, for example, in Italy, do you think your paper is going to make a difference for those who practice in Italy? I hope so. <laughs> I was uh, I was asked by the actually I was uh, I got a proposal from the um, uh, University of Rome Press to publish my the Italian translation of my research. So surely uh, most Italians don't really speak or read English, uh, although many okay. think they do, <laughs> but, okay. but they don't. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't think that the public, the English publication of my research will make much of an impact because of the language barrier. But once it gets published in Italian, I hope it will. Um, well, looking at the at the patterns of what has happened across uh, different countries, I would say that um, it is likely uh, to have an impact. But I think that overall, um, even worldwide, uh, academia is opening up to uh, studying these kind of practices. Mm -hmm. Which and is good. Yeah, it is still difficult for uh, people like us who are scholars in this field to, you know, uh, stay in the stay in academia and get funding for our research. But we are doing mm -hmm. our best to. <laughs> well, I condemn. I condemn. I commend you definitely, absolutely. You know, people like you is what uh, what makes um, you know us practitioners feel validated, simply put, right? Um, John Jerome, did you want to say anything before we take any questions from uh, our oh, audience? I've got, I, I've, got, I've got a lineup of things to, to touch on. Okay, on this subject, go ahead. Academic, I'm making my coffee. I'm making my this, coffie here. So go this, ahead. This, go this, ahead. Go this, ahead. This, Talk amongst yourselves. This is for your benefit as well, um, uh, Angela. Uh, so just in terms of the importance, this is a book that was published, Le Fa entre croyance et science, uh, pour l'épistémologie de, de savoir africain. This was a, a group of uh, scientists, mathematicians, and also anthropologists. And the, the summary here is very apt because it basically says, this book answers three questions of ex by examining Ifa and Fa in West African system of knowledge and practices which a narrow knowledge reduces to a fanciful divinatory art, an art then logically perceived as inconsistent and theoretically useless, which echoes what you, the attitudes you mentioned you found with some academics or individuals. Then it says, yet more than a divinatory art, Ifa, when we submit it to analysis, appears to be an organized set of knowledge and researches, a science in the making. Uh, 
what makes us really think that way is the intellectual vocation that defines ifad, the rigor of the logical operation that implies in which recalls in one way or the other the game of implicit mathematics. Objectivity requirement which is valued by the actors of the system and rests on a genuine critical tradition. So the reason I, I, I mentioned this is this, these are one of those books not written by solely a practitioner, solely on the, the accepted corpuses or accepted traditions or practices, but like what you're doing, uh, takes a, an objective or imp more empirical approach or comparative approach to the practice and, and to show its merits. In other words, to, to uh, cast away the, the, the notion that it's illogical, irrational, irrelevant, and everything else. So it is those types of, of uh, you know, investigations and, and works which are very, very critical. And, and that book was, of course, a collaboration between, again, academics, uh, both in mathematics and also in, in anthropology, and practitioners of the FA, known as Bokono and, uh, in Benin and Babalaos in uh, Nigeria. So I just wanted to quickly show that. Also for that's, that's and uh, so yeah, no, it's it's and that's why we're as you can see I'm excited. I'm always very supportive of, of the the re, the working with the academic community in a respectful way, in an objective way to try to bring out the merits and the the value of these traditions. Which re, re, truthfully, like many of the the, the five divination system itself was entered into the UNESCO. Uh, intangible patrimony of humanity for the divination system and to, to protect the tradition, to protect the geomancy and so forth. The more, you know, academic work that is done to support and to validate these and to, to, to bring them to light and to show their, their deep roots and their deep value to society, to culture, to the history and to the people, the more these th these beliefs can be uh, protected, you know, by institutions like UNESCO, right? Which is which is critical. Which is the one that actually hired my mom in Cuba for that very purpose to look at how these traditions survived, mm -hmm. you know, after slavery and how prevalent they were, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so my 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 question there, and then we have a, a, a question from one of our audience members. Um, so you, we've touched upon your, your study without, again, divulging your thesis or putting your thesis in any form of jeopardy. Mm -hmm. um, when you've uh, had this participatory uh, involvement, uh, participant observation, did any of the practitioners from your observations of Italian shaman and signatori and so forth, did they touch upon their cosmology? In other words, what are the divinities? or the, the, the sort of range of spirits or gods or whatever term they, they would use that they mm -hmm. work with, that they venerate, um, you know, is signatory, you know, impregnated really with the, with the, the Christian, you know, sort of uh, cosmo, cosmology, or do they preserve a more ancient shamanic, you know, like uh, a veneration of elementals and a veneration of, of uh, you know, earth deities, sky deities. What was your finding? Uh, that depends on the uh, practitioner. 
I'd say that um, overall um, they tend to work mostly with the saints, but the way they work with the saints is that uh, they treat them as spirits rather than, mm -hmm. you know, say according to the uh, Catholic theology. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, and, but I've also come across um, segnatori or, yeah, w some of these healers um, have talked about spirits. Like, for example, there was a healer from Sicily who said that she had the spirit who told her to do certain things and she just called it mm -hmm. a spirit. Um, and uh, there is the, the Italian shaman who um, calls her, her actually herself a shaman. Uh, she um, actually employs a lot of elemental um, forces. So, so she talks about air, fire, water, um, and earth, but also um, she works with the moon, with the uh, moon phases and with mm -hmm. the uh, Etruscan deity, with, with an Etruscan deity called Oni. And Oni is like mm -hmm. Pachamama. Spell that. It's U-N-I. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Dr. Salvato, Dr. Giammaico Salvato has mentioned Uni. Yes. Uni as being a, a, a more of a, um, I believe, unless I'm, I don't want to misquote or misrepresent, but my recollection was in a private conversation, Uni is very much like a, uh, a sky or an air elemental, which he, yeah, he I... likened to Obatala in within the Yoruba, because he's familiar with also the Yoruba structure, to an Obatala. <laughs> Teresa accidentally hung up. <laughs> Her coffee bug probably hit the button, but that's okay. <laughs> she'll, she'll, re, she'll reconnect. Is that your finding? Yeah. Is that your understanding? Did you Did you... Did you dig deeper? Like when they mentioned those names, were you were you able to find any um, academic records and all that that, that describe that particular deity? No, normally when um, when my informants talk me about their practices, mm -hmm. I don't. Um, my uh, my research is anthropological; it's not historical, so it is not really part of my research to go and you know, see the roots of the beliefs in Uni. Uh, to me, it is just a way of seeing how many uh, of these Italian uh, witches or practitioners do include Uni. And this person was the, the only one who mentioned, who mentioned Uni. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, but she was most- in No, in, oh. uh, this is, uh, she's from, um, Wow, uh, just uh, she's from Calabria, and Calabria. but now she's in the yes Calabrese. <laughs> she she's from Cala originally from Calabria, but now she lives in the north. Okay. And yeah, she was talking about the Etruscan deity, and uh, she seemed to have more of a um, pagan kind of um, religious framework. But these kind of practices can, I don't think they can be deemed as a religion. They are like, you know, like witchcraft. They are practices which may or may not include religious elements, but they are not religions in and of themselves.
So mm -hmm. I see that overall they tend to work with the saints. That's the most common thing. Even mm -hmm. uh, even illnesses have a different name uh, in this tradition. So for example, even illnesses, uh, the, yeah, illnesses, uh, diseases. Yeah. Uh, for example, there is um, um, an illness which is called which they call Saint Anthony's fire. Mm -hmm. um, which is the herpes zoster, I think. In San mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, in they work a lot with the saints, and in most cases, mm -hmm. I'd say that they have a relation. They they relate themselves to the saints as if they were spirits more than. Um, you know the way the catholic church portrays the mm -hmm. the saints so maybe this is similar to what they do in santeria yeah they form a relationship yeah they're more they're, they're more like the, the saints the reason syncretism worked in santeria was the association with a, a catholic saint with based on its attributes uh with the mm -hmm. orisha orisha being a, a divinity which had previous spiritual form took on an earthly uh, mission, was a blessed Ori, and because then mm -hmm. of, it, of its uh, accomplishments and the miracle or people working with that divinity and venerating that divinity took on a stature mm -hmm. of, of, of a, you know, a divinity, right? Um, yeah, so I guess in, in that sense, it, it is different because yeah. in Santeria, there has been a syncretism between uh, previous uh, mm -hmm. entities and uh, the saints, whereas in Italy it is just um, the saints who are interacted mm -hmm. with as uh, spiritual entities yeah. Yeah. that can help. Yeah. The, the thing is yeah. though, and this is this is very critical based on your, your observation and your, your research. So just to be clear, like the Orisha are living, breathing, living consciousness. In other words, the, those are spirits. Yes that have, you know, let's say, if you would talk about in spiritual terminology, have great elevation, have great, you know, have achieved a, a, a status in their spiritual power mm -hmm. and their spiritual enlightenment, that they're able to affect and manifest material uh, changes and effects in our natural world. So the Orishas mm -hmm. are not like, the, the, what, I'm, what I'm sort of alluding to my question is, the Orishas are living, breathing, embodiment, and, and we work with them every day. The same way that if they work with a saint, it's a it's a, an ancestor which achieved a certain, you know, because of prayers to them, because of their uh, mm -hmm. work and so forth, they receive a certain status and are considered to have a certain ele elevation, spiritual. But my question was, with this Uri, Uni, uh, did she view... Or did she have for this one one person that, that you know called in the trust in divinity that spirit? Did, did you have a sense that she worked with that spirit in the same capacity or in the same sort of living, breathing interaction that you know the other ones would interact with the, the spirits of the same? Mm, no, I guess that her approach was more pagan um and it is also important to say that there are um quite a lot of uh, practitioners especially in the old generation who mm, 
kind of perform these practices in a very mechanical way. So not, you know, uh, with all that uh, spiritual component um, mm -hmm. being all that present, but it, it really depends mm -hmm. on the on the person and on the generation. So, and also it is important to say that uh, people in the old generation tend to kind of conceal the spiritual aspect as well. So it might not yeah. come across as um, evidently as it does with people in the new generation, which tend to be more open about uh, their practices. Okay. 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 Uh, la one last question, then I'm going to pass. There, there's at least, yeah, one question uh, very interesting from a Natalie Bishop, which I'm going to post in a moment. Um, in these belief systems, did you see any practitioner that had in their family lineages any members of their family that were in uh, Freemasonry, that had some Masonic? Yeah, I'm not sure why you're you're asking this question, but yes. So, sorry, it, it, our connection just froze a little bit. Uh, I don't know if did you hear the question, or I don't know if you responded yes. or not. I okay. I heard the question, uh, and the answer was yes. There have been informants who uh, are, uh, are also connected to Freemasonry. Okay. Yeah, but I'm I'm wondering why did you ask this question. Th that's that's a long conversation, and that's for the whole other show. But um, uh, that's a long conversation. I'll I'll explain offline. Uh, but there there is a main reason for that. There is a it's, very very main. It's not mm -hmm. common though. It's not common, right. but yeah, it does happen. Yeah, you you will find you will find masonry. I'll just say this: you will find masonry in behind the scenes in many traditions right in many traditions you'll see masonry over not just now but over centuries millennium that is working behind the scenes right and it, as a repository for certain secrets traditions and formulae in terms of uh dealing with the spirit world just as a side note my great-grandfather jean ignace Huguet, and his son ignacito Huguet, were both 33rd degree masons so that's huh? one of the reasons why we have masonry in our family. So that's one of the reasons why, um, and I'm essentially initiated into Oboni, which is many would argue is a, is a form of West African masonry. So that's why I'm, I was curious, uh, you know, if, if there is an equivalent to Oboni or, or some form of Masonic or, or secret society that, that sort of acts as the, the backbone or the backdrop mm -hmm. of a lot of these practices in, uh, oh, I, I guess that now unders I understand better the question. And in this case, I'd say uh, that no. Uh, so the, okay. this practice is not related to masonry, but there may be people who are initiated to Freemasonry and also have in their family or have been initiated to this tradition of uh, Italian um, vernacular healing. So, but there is no relation between this tradition and masonry, not so. Okay. So it's just, you know, that incidentally, you can find a person who is also 
somewhat related to masonry, but uh, it's not something that is um, related to the tradition per se. Okay. Okay. No, that's good. I, I appreciate that because that's something, mm -hmm. you know, especially in Europe, masonry was quite prevalent, right? So mm -hmm. it still is, not was, it is. It's still a force mm -hmm. globally. Uh, Freemasonry is still very much alive <laughs> and very much a force in the, in the world. Um, a question from Natalie Bishop. What regions in particular practice signatura or is, is it widespread in the Middle East? Uh, the practice of the segnatura is widespread, but at first the term segnatura was only utilized in Emilia-Romagna. Uh, but then, uh, thanks to the internet and the, uh, the wider communication between communities of practitioners, now the term segnatura has become more used and understood across different regions. And that's why I decided to adopt that one because uh, the other regions didn't have any term at all to describe the practice. Whereas in Emilia-Romagna, they did have the term segnatura. And I guess that it kind of uh, filled a void <laughs> for practitioners once they were exchanging knowledge mm -hmm. on the internet. And so they started using it and so i sort of detected the trend and jumped onto it and uh, that's why i employ that specific term to classify and systematize that tradition okay okay per oh uh i shout out from jennifer hi uh, hi, hi jennifer thanks for tuning in I don't know if we were, she we were talking it. about you earlier. Only good thing. <laughs> were your ears burning, Jennifer? We were your talking about. <laughs> we love Jennifer. She's a wonderful, very, very knowledgeable. You know, yeah. And I thank you, uh, Andrea, Angela, because it was thanks to you bringing her or interviewing Absolutely her that I had the idea to interview both of you. The only thing is, uh, somehow I got through to Jennifer before I was able to get through to, uh, to you. So, uh, but, uh, but I yeah, appreciate Je that. Yeah, Jennifer is very articulate and uh, I really like how she speaks and both in terms of content and how she mm -hmm. articulates her thoughts. It's very mm -hmm. pleasant to hear and very, you know, mm. you feel smarter afterwards. <laughs> just mm -hmm. by just by listening to her. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So are there any other questions that uh, Jean Jerome, you said uh, Gian, uh, our former guest Gian Michael wanted to say something? Oh. Uh, he only just joined, so we'll rewatch later for that. I felt loud. <laughs> okay, Natalie, Natalie's on a roll here. Natalie has another question. Another question? Okay. You mentioned gestures and words. Can you comment on some of the other spiritual technologies, I would say in quotation marks, employed in the practice? Mm, what do you mean by spiritual technologies? Other techniques? Like, uh, like, uh, for instance, like tools, I would say, uh, or uh, not spiritual mm -hmm. tools, or like you, you know, you use gestures, you use uh, words. words. Uh, I think you touched upon that. No, no, but but actually, let, let's bring up one very interesting question. In in this practice, did you find any evidence in terms of the healing process? Was there any component having to do with 
ceremonial uh, ceremonies that involve some sort of offering, sacrifice, be it food, be it interesting uh, you know, offering or being animal sacrifice or any any form of energy exchange of that nature. Mm, no. Uh, speaking of other uh, techniques, uh, there are other techniques. Like, for example, there was um, a person from Sardinia and another from Tuscany who talked about uh, remove the fear, uh, which, as they described it, is quite similar to soul retrieval in shamanism, yeah. um, which is uh, done by utilizing a, a napkin um yeah so that's not i guess um a signatura in that of it's not just a gesture uh, accompanied uh, by words um yeah uh, your question was uh about sacrifices and offerings mm, mm -hmm. no i don't think they are very common I don't think I can really exclude categorically anything because there might be that one um, mm -hmm. group of practitioners which I haven't come across. But um, no, I'd say that um, they are not common. What they do is that they won't accept any payment for their healing. And so when somebody does give them, for example, in, in Sicily, there were a few informants saying that when they got paid um, and they didn't want to outright refuse it because they wouldn't ask for a payment, but somebody, sometimes people would uh, give them something anyway. So they would bring it to the local church as a donation because they didn't mm -hmm. want to keep it. So I guess that mm -hmm. they can be like a form of sacrifice. So they sacrifice their time and energy and they don't ask mm -hmm. for anything mm -hmm. in return and if they get something in return they will donate it uh so i guess that can be classified perhaps as a form mm -hmm. of offering or right. sacrifice i think it to me it sounds like an exchange an energy exchange um with the individual shamanic practitioner um, or healer with the person. Um, for example, that reminded me of um, uh, when I when I did a little bit of research, more research on the Polish Sheptuche and what they, when people would come to them and they would bring them, yes, money, which they would donate, um, but they would bring them, let's say, you know, bread, potatoes, that kind of thing. It, it, obviously they took it, right? Because, you know, they got something and the person who came to them got something, right? So there's that energy exchange. I didn't see any sort of um, sacrifices, animalistic or anything, because these are very much folk magic, that type of folk magic, and, um, and the healing was based on that. So I think that's what you're trying to say, Angela, is that was this more of a common thing, more of a common practice in that sense? uh what what would be the common practice an exchange of um let's say goods you know bringing normally they normally they wouldn't even accept potatoes or bread they would just no. donate it okay. 
So okay. there are uh, people who practice segnature who are mm -hmm. who also do other things like called shamanism or other holistic therapies and they would uh, receive payment for those practices but then when they have to employ techniques from the italian folk healing tradition they wouldn't ask for any payment because that's kind of a, a rule <laughs> that they have mm -hmm. of course i cannot um rule out that there might be a person who actually uh, accepts payments but uh, i'd say that the large majority of uh, the people i've interviewed actually most of them if not all of them <laughs> have reported that this is a uh, quite a, uh, a strict mm -hmm. rule that they abide by okay i just wanted to uh, say um excuse me i have to put my battery pack on my phone because I'm down to 4% um, and I'll be right back. So go ahead. <laughs> no problem. Okay, uh, Natalie, again, Natalie, thank you for your for your uh, participation, your active participation. Yeah, thank uh, you, Natalie, is, for your questions. Is there a connection between the natural world and the practice, uh, like use of certain herbs, roots, or resin, almost like root work? Is Did you see a... a Say in other ways, is there root work in in this practice of of uh, signature? Um, the practice of the signature is mostly done by gestures and words, but there are uh, occasionally practitioners who also utilize roots and herbs to. But this would be the kind of practitioners who have, I'd say. Um, a stronger connection to their spiritual to their spiritual practice, okay. because as I said, there are also uh, town healers who perform these um, the, these gestures and these signature in a quite in a in a mechanical manner, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, at least when you look at them, uh, it looks like they are just cooking pasta. So it's like a very mundane action right. for them yeah. whereas you have others who have um, a stronger connection to their spiritual practice who tend to mm, be more i guess well-rounded and em employ also the use of herbs and roots mm -hmm. yeah certainly the two case studies because i have a chapter in my doctoral research with two case mm -hmm. studies from um, practitioners of segnature who identify as shamans. And mm -hmm. in both cases, they also use herbs and roots. But I wouldn't okay. say that root work is a, a, a trait of uh, Italian uh, folk healing tradition. Do you think they use prayer? Is this something that they use because um, you said that uh, they they syncretize with Catholic saints and they form relationships. So is it more in the sense of prayer that they use as a tool? I, I, I didn't want to delve too deep into this because I know that, you know, sometimes these may be secretive and they don't want to, you know, give this out. But is this what what's a common practice is prayer as opposed to any other sort of mechanical um, tools that they um, yes. use? Yes, they also they also use prayers, especially the old generation, because the old generation uh, is 
utilizes more a syncretism with Catholicism, whereas the new generation tends to syncretize more with paganism. Um, so mm -hmm. that's another thing that I um, maybe I didn't touch on earlier, but yeah. Um, so they do use prayers, but the core practice are the gestures and the words. And these words um, are secretive and mm -hmm. they are usually in the local dialect and they are passed down from uh, a blood relative, uh, usually according to the tradition. So these are mm -hmm. not words that I, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what yeah. it is, whether it's, I, no, I only no, know no, that no. Uh, quite, a, quite a few informants have told me that they are, um, words that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily associate to um you know this kind of magical practice um mm -hmm. th there was an informant who told me that she was really surprised when uh, her grandmother whispered the words in in her ear during the initiation because they seemed very mundane and random words not you know, anything mm -hmm. special. Mm -hmm. That's what she said. Mm -hmm. Of course, I, I don't know what uh, these words were because these are, um, yeah, secret. And, and, and would you say that, and would you say that the, the, the I mean, I know it's a little vague uh, and uh, there's a secrecy sort of surrounding it, but uh, do you have a sense of the language? You say the language, local dialect, but are we talking about a local dialect really of Italian or are we talking about a language or words that are borrowed from, let's say, an older, like from even Latin or other. No, the, no, the local dialects. Italy is a very young country, so mm -hmm. every region has a dialect, which mm -hmm. in some cases it's a language in and of itself. So Neapolitan right, okay. is a is a language recognized by the UNESCO, and so it is the Sicilian okay. and Sardinian. So Neapolitan, Sardinian, and Sicilian are languages. Um, and yeah. all the other regions have uh, their own dialects, which, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So normally it is either the dialect from the region or even dialect from the town, because even, um, mm -hmm. you know, different towns are, and villages may have uh, even strong variations from the regional dialect. So, mm -hmm. like for example, in my in my home region, which is Campania, because I'm from Naples, as I said, you have a slightly different dialect in Naples than you have in Caserta, uh, because Caserta is about um, you know an hour by train from Naples, and it is a quite it is a slightly different uh, dialect. So. Uh, basically, these countryside healers tend to use the language of their town. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. 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 It's interesting. Go ahead. I was I was just going to say it's interesting because I remember when I had uh, watched that small clip about the sh the Sheptuche witches in Poland, the Whispering Witches. Um, my observance of these women, and I'm going to just describe the one scene of one of the women. Um, she puts, you were saying, a scarf or, or, or a kerchief. She had put a, a white, um, I would say, a, a, a cur not a kerchief, but a handkerchief on a person's head. And as, she's, as she is actually doing her, 
her work, she is praying and, and you could see she's in a slight trance and the words she's using, it's exactly like I, I was listening to her whispering and as she's saying the words, they were very mundane, okay? And, and it was the way she was saying it and the way her eyes would go up and, and you know, just simple things like taking, um, I think it was like dried grass or straw above the person's head and lighting it. And this was to take away um, something that plagued this person, right? Some evil or something like this. But it was the prayers and they were from an Orthodox uh, Bible. Okay. But this was an association that the practitioner themselves had linked with their practice, the, the prayers, etc. And obviously these older women, this is now dying out. There are new practicing witches. And it's interesting, I wanted to ask you about uh, the newer practitioners using paganism. And what do you mean using paganism? In what sense? So, so As wait, opposed wait, wait. to the older ones. So, so, so based on that question, Teresa, it basically slightly echoes Jennifer's that says that's really interesting. The borderland between Christianity and paganism uh, is something I'm really interested in. Also, magic in a Christian context, somewhat, somewhat similar to what you're just asking. So can, you I can saw that questions. out of my corner of my eye. I yeah, saw yeah. that out of the there corner of my eye, and that's why I'm asking, because it's exactly how I wanted to ask my question, yeah. was the paganism at ver versus the prayers, because I had described what I had seen and what what I heard was transpiring, and these were very mundane words when you said that. And it was like, ah, okay. So there's a bit of, to me, an observance is that this person has to have a amount of mediumship um, abilities and their link to go into a trance. It, it's using the tools. Now, I find that's interesting. How do the young ones, can you go ahead and tell me how do they use the paganism? You know, because it's such an overused word now when we say paganism. Is uh, it the, the symbols that they use or? Uh, well, I think that um the reason why they may be syncretizing it more with paganism is that those who are actively interested in uh, retrieving the folk magical practices of their grandmothers, they tend to be interested in witchcraft before um, they, you know, they they start engaging with this with this tradition. So their mm -hmm. outlook, because normally um, people who are Catholics, uh, they wouldn't really be right. Look into the roots. Yeah, they, they wouldn't really look into uh, acquiring magical powers and magical techniques. Um, mm -hmm. So this is a, a an issue that uh, a few healers have even reported they didn't have anyone to initiate in their families because they didn't really find value or believe in what they were doing. Whereas those who are interested in paganism and in witchcraft, they would give value to the traditions of their families. And so, mm -hmm. but then when they get passed down those techniques, since they have a different religious framework because they perhaps believe in goddesses and gods, they tend to syncretize these things. So for example, instead of yeah. initiating, instead of performing the initiation 
on Christmas Eve's night, they would do it on the winter sources. Okay. Because that is more in line with their uh, belief system. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was, there's also an informant of mine who uh, told me that she feels uncomfortable using some of the segnature because they include the Trinity. And so she, mm -hmm. she's trying to substitute the Trinity with um, a pagan equivalent of sort. Mm -hmm. so, right. um, so yeah, uh, they they tend to kind of change the syncretism. So mm -hmm. maybe they they might uh, still use the gestures, but they uh, would change. You know, instead of right. calling upon the saints, they might call upon a deity they uh, mm -hmm. have been working with. So do you think by doing that, um, are they awakening those other um, entities, those pagan um, former gods or goddesses? Um, and in doing so, do you think that this gives them more power? Um, because I'm, I'm looking at it this, from this angle. Um, if they do engage with an older entity, has this entity been waiting in the sidelines or has this entity always been with them? And in doing so, it's like, you know, for example, me this morning waking up and getting, you know, my second cup of coffee because I'm not really quite awake. So, I mean, how much power do I have until my second cup of coffee and suddenly I'm all okay. So what I'm getting at is if you're awakening these older entities these older energies how are they going to get stronger is it by accumulating more people to feed that energy or is it themselves forming that relationship with that energy that finally after giving them their second cup of coffee if you want to look at it as giving them offerings and being giving them a, a relationship you're starting a relationship do you know where I'm going with this? Is, is is this something that you think is going to get better in time? Or what's what's been your observance? Or what's your personal uh, take on that? Mm, I'm not sure I understood the question, to be honest. Okay. Um, so, for example, um, you're saying the, the new practitioners are going to their more pagan roots. And by doing so, are they actively activating energies of older gods and goddesses? They believe they do, yeah. Okay, so taking that, by doing that, are those gods and goddesses always been with them as a form of energy and entity around them? Or are they basically suddenly it's like you're knocking on this this ancient entity or god or goddess knocking on the door going, hey, hi, I'd like to work with you. And you know what? I'm, I'm doing this. And you suddenly start going into all of this. And they are, for example, like me, let's just say I'm one of those entities or there's gods or goddesses. I'm waking up going, oh, hold on a second. What? You want what? You want me to do who? What? Um, I've only... I need oh, a I, I think you know I get, like I think I got your yeah. question and I'm not sure but uh, tell me if I'm uh, answering it. 
okay. so normally these people already have a relationship with certain gods um as i said they tend to be pagans or interested in witchcraft to begin with mm -hmm. um well, what so I'm it saying is, is yeah go ahead i'll let you finish uh so um maybe it is a way of integrating their pagan practice in some cases and that's what i was questioning is the integration of itself um when you're in other words when you're waking up energies that are have not been used before in the form of these goddesses like what i'm asking is what type of gods or goddesses are they associating with the gods and goddesses associated with the land with italy in that specific area or are they in general going to let's say a god or goddess of a different culture um pantheon or culture because what i'm getting at is if you're going to do that okay for example you've got these these this older generation, you know, and they're building this power and they're continually doing their practices and there's others that are doing this. They've been doing this for a millennia, okay? Let's say, let's say a hundred years, a thousand years. And they've been doing this. There is a certain amount of power around them. And then along comes the newer generation and they want that, They, but they don't want the syncretism with Catholicism how are they bringing their pagan roots into this like how are those energies coming through to them do you know what i'm saying like you know what i'm getting at john jerome i i, I, I hear you I, no no i hear you no i hear you no i i i think uh, again the 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 main point i think where we're driving at is mm -hmm. you know is is are is the individual so let's separate the belief system from the individual is the individual practitioner, new practitioner, pulling from other traditions, other pay like Wicca or, or other other Druidry yes. or other traditions, to bring that into the practice of of uh, uh, signatory, or are they are they trying to awaken within the signatory, like your friend whom you mentioned, whose work was uni, are they trying to yes. work with or wake up? ancient beliefs yes. or work with ancient uh, divinities within the old, which sort of relates back to my original question about the pantheons or the, the different cosmology yes. within their own structure. Yes, you get that's what I'm getting. Yeah, you, you get both uh, cases, but I say the majority tend to work with um, deities from different cultures. I, I, that's um, it. Yeah. But okay. yeah, you also you also get the um, uh, the practitioners who want to go back to Work their with. roots, but um, not necessarily. I'd say that's that uh, mo yeah. most pagans in Italy are very much influenced by Wicca, and specifically ah, from the eclectic yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wicca. Yeah, understood. Understood. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I don't want to pass judgment, but I, I'm yeah. trying to get like. Okay, I get what, yeah. where where it's going. Okay. Yeah. In the interest of time, because I promised Angela we try to keep it within the two hours right. because she had a, a little bit of a hard stop in her time zone. Uh, I'm just mm -hmm. gonna uh, voice these questions in reverse order. First, Natalie, right. just more of a comment than a question. 
many of those deities never cease to be worshipped or they continue their worship in syncretized or syncretization with more uh, modern divinities. Mm -hmm. That's just more of a comment she has. Now, Ken Allen, also more of a comment. In some Native American tribes, the medicine men will use some aspects of Christian prayers and indigenous prayers, burn sweet grass over the person's head to extract mm. the malady from the person's head and body. They would cover their head with an animal pelt whilst performing the med medicine procedure. Good. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll just I'll make a quick just comment on both all those things that you've mm -hmm. outlined. The reason the underlying metaphysical principle of doing that is that when you do any work with somebody's odi, with somebody's soul, you are opening up a portal right in their head. When, mm -hmm. when you make incantation, whether whatever the tradition, or you put in the elements or ingredients, whether it be blood, whether it be natural elements, food, grass, whatever, you are basically waking, awakening and strengthening that inner God, if you will, the inner soul, and you must cover the head in order because once you've opened it, that, that area is exposed, mm -hmm. energetically is exposed. Mm -hmm. Covering it with a white cloth and all that is to protect the OD from like a wound, right? You're 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 doing a surgery essentially, you're you're fixing what's here, and before it can close, mm -hmm. because it won't close right away, you have to cover the wound with a bandage. That's what that metaphysically, whether it be Ifa, whether it be Vodu, whether it be any tradition, that is the metaphysical principle that is going on and almost uh, visible in every uh, every shamanic or indigenous or spiritual belief. What so. I wanted to say was you think of it like birthing, going through the birth canal and the soft fontanelle of an infant right. when coming right. through. It's that, that uh, triangular shape. And this is what you're protecting so that they're almost like well, basically what you're doing right. as a shaman is you're rebirthing this person Correct. into the life, yeah. into and, life. And, 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 and in, in Orisha practice, when you do dosu, when you do the, the crowning, when you bring down one of the Orisha or spirituality or vodu, within vodu, into the crown, into the head, into the soul, to cohabit the oriote, the, the head that you have, mm -hmm. that's why mm -hmm. the the Iyawo in the, in the, in the term of, of uh, Yoruba practice must have their head covered, especially mm -hmm. when they go outside at all time because they're a baby. Like you just said, Teresa, they have just passed mm -hmm. through. They've been rebirthed and spiritually their, their head is open, right? So you must yes. keep it covered and maintain the medicines that are required to keep the head protected from other contaminants or ajobu or elimini negative energies that basically can attack that Odi while it's in this vulnerable state of, of birth, right? So mm -hmm. I'm going to, uh, we have, you know, just people uh, commenting, Ashe or yes, and then Aburuboye uh, David, he's in Spain. David uh, mm -hmm. Gomez Lopez is in Spain, is one of the Babalaos of IFA World Conference, a uh, council of 17 Babalaos internationally that I belong to with Baba Fabiyi in Mexico. Um, so, in the interest of time, Angela, because I'm a man of my word, or at least I try to be, uh, yes. a, a quote or something that sort of summarizes your like your journey so far, your, whether it be academic 
or your personal journey, something, words you live by or things you... Mm -hmm. uh, things are connected by invisible ties. You cannot pick a flower without upsetting a star. Nice. Okay. Very nice. This is attributed nice. to... It's attributed to Galileo Galilei. But, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Very, very good. Very, very, very good. nice. Very nice. Okay. So now, um, okay. and Ken, I'm yeah, uh, yeah, just going to read a couple of last comments before we say our goodbyes. Uh, Ken Allen, yes, because it's exposed during the process and covering it protects it from further invasion for lack of a better term. Thank you. Correct. Yes, correct. Exactly. 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 And, and that, that's a, a fundamental principle, if you will. Any, because mm -hmm. it, at that point, it, that's where I was saying that the spirituality becomes a science because it's, it's the same yeah. procedure. If you have an open wound, you tend to stitch it up, put whatever medicine, antibiotics, yeah. and close it. So that's, it's the same thing with Uri, with your head. So, absolutely. All right. So to everybody tuning in, thank you very much for this special edition, Saturday morning sort of brunch edition uh, with Angela <laughs> Puka in, uh, uh, in England, joining us from England. Angela, thank you so much for accepting. Yes, the Angela. I found thank you. our interaction to be very informative. I, I believe everybody else did as well. And again, Absolutely. as I said to all our guests, uh, please, you know, this is not a one-time event. Please consider you have family in Canada and uh, people that are interested in your field of research and, and mm -hmm. the broader field of research of academic uh, inquiry into indigenous belief mm -hmm. system and uh, any way we can collaborate if you have events or mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, any type of initiatives that you want to uh, advertise or promote. You can feel free to do so. Send yes. it to us. We'll post it on Ancestral Eyes with the page and the group. And uh, is there a preferred way, last sort of parting remark, is there a preferred way you like people to contact you? What is the way you like people to, you know, send you their questions or if they want to contact you, you know, directly to, to have some sort of interaction? What, what is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, well, first off, uh, thank you for inviting me here again. And I'd like to thank uh, everybody who uh, has been uh, watching this show. Um, I, I guess that um, I'd like to remind everybody who's interested in the academic study of magic to check out the YouTube channel Angela Symposium. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I guess that that's the, the first best way to contact me because I reply to each and every comment. So, None. and uh, yeah, and I also have my email on the, um, uh, on the YouTube channel, listed on the YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. yeah, I guess that that's okay. the best way to contact me. Yeah, and then on Facebook, you're, you're found as Angela Puka. Yeah, I also... Yeah, yeah, I also indeed. have the Facebook page and the yeah. Instagram page, but I'd say the most active uh, social is uh, my YouTube channel. And I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, and I'll put a pitch in here for you as well. I'm actually modestly one of your patrons. Thank you for that. Patreon, on Patreon. And uh, I encourage anybody who, you know, is interested and, and has a, a vested interest in these traditions being studied, being 
uh, you know, being looked into, being rep properly represented from an academic perspective, and being brought into mainstream awareness and knowledge to uh, support uh, Angela in her excellent work and her, she produces videos on YouTube, uh, very informative. Mm -hmm. She takes, a, again, always Absolutely. an academic posture to all the different uh, topics of paganism, esotericism, magic, and so forth. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, I encourage you to look her up on Patreon, uh, Angela Puka. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm a patron. So as to all our guests, anything we can do as a community to support each other, you know, uh, please do. Absolutely. Now, I want to say thank you to all our guests who tuned in always. We're, we're grateful that you do. We have a following. We're happy that you tune in and thank you for tuning in this Saturday. Now, um, we do have a little creature who watches us, your godson. Um, but unfortunately, we can't put up his picture or he is not able to uh, watch us today because he had yeah. gone to the vets to... Um, to get neutered, <laughs> poor little guy. But oh, poor. he's having a rough day. <laughs> he's having a rough day. He's he's in his crate and he's crying and and, and from poor the sounds thing. of it, he doesn't like it. But you know, our thoughts yeah. are with the little guy now. Jean Jerome, just quickly, I know you yourself are going to be getting your own little kitty. Is am I correct in believing that? That 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 is correct. Uh, that is the plan. I'm yes. hoping to pick him up uh, in the next little while. So he will be, I've, I've named him Ekun. Ekun, which Ekun. means in Yoruba is Atemokun, which means uh, the the leopard, which is the a leopard. sacred animal for Ifa. Because he's all that's black. Blue that, yeah, that's really cute. So anyway, so we're going to close the show with that. And again, thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for coming on our show. It's been very informative. As always, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure everybody who tunes in learns a lot from these uh, shows. So I thank you. I thank you, Jean-Jerome, for doing all the technical work. And as my co-host, I you, thank you as well. And, um, yeah, I'm starving now. Now I've had my two cups of coffee. I'm awake, baby. But oh, now so I'm starving, so, so in, i got to go and eat. So in Canada, <laughs> we're going to have a late lunch. And in England, I believe uh, Angela's going to have dinner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> probably hungry as well. Many blessings, Angela. Much success. Yes. Uh, may you, may your uh, defense of your thesis be successful. May we count you among uh, learned uh, academic uh, in terms of your PhD. Continue the good work, and Absolutely. many blessings on your and continued journey. Okay. everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Take care. Have a great weekend. Wonderful Saturday. Bye. Bye.